Today's guest is Australian actress and dancer Kriva Hine. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. I'm super excited. I was first introduced to your work, obviously, through H2O, just add water. As a young girl growing up, it was a great quality show. And then I discovered as I was going through like who I wanted to interview for my podcast that you were also a dancer, which I'm a dancer. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to learn more about your dance journey and then how you got into acting. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate that. Um, Yeah, it is an interesting one. And I think a lot of people don't realize that I came from the dancing world. And then I think once they find out, they're like, oh, okay, this makes sense now. But I do think it's actually a pretty natural progression, to be honest. I, I definitely, at the beginning, when I was looking down the barrel of acting work, I was like, oh, no oh no, I can't think of anything worse. And then I realized all of the parallels between dancing and acting. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. I get why this happens. <laughs> it's so funny because when you think of dancing, you're like moving on stage, but you're not talking. But then when you're acting, it's like all talking. How do you do that transition of, I have to use my mouth now, not like yeah. just through my body language. Exactly. I feel like a good way that I've figured out how to explain it to people, particularly when I'm teaching dancing and acting, actually, any kind of performance, is that dancing is kind of like acting with a huge handicap where you can't actually say anything. You've got to say what you would say with your body. And so that's that's when I realised when I was younger that it was like, oh, I can still make people feel something it's actually just easier because I can just get to the point quicker than I even could if I was dancing. So I think that dancing is a great training ground for actors. And a lot of my approach now as an actor really still sits in this very physical sort of way of thinking where if I can like find the physicality of a character, I'm like good to go. And until I find the physicality, it's no bueno. So I think I'm still definitely led by the dance training, even as an actor. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Let's start from your beginning. So what was your first exposure to art? So my mum was a dancer and she at one point was sort of doing like lots of rehearsals and had nothing to do with us kids. So we would come along and we would sit and watch for hours and Mum said she eventually turned around one day and I was doing the choreography to Fever. <laughs> so you can imagine what that was like on like a three, four-year-old. And mum was like, that's the end. Now you have to go find some sort of daycare or something because you cannot be in rehearsals. So I think I sort of picked it up by osmosis originally. I think it is in my DNA, but I was very, very lucky to have a dance mum, particularly one who owned a dance school in the end who every year turned around and said to me, do you want to dance? Where do you want to dance? What do you want to do? So she always checked back in with me and made sure that it was what I wanted to do and I was doing it in the way that I wanted to. So it was it was all through mum. My parents did the same thing. They were like, do you want to dance? And then I would keep going. They would ask me every year, do you want to keep going? Yeah. It's just kind of, for me, dance was like, I have to do it. Like there's, I cannot not do it. Exactly. But it's such a nice, like, I, I think that's a big lesson that I learned from my parents. Because every year I was like, yeah, duh, like, <laughs> of course. And now as an adult, I'm like, oh, I see what you were doing. And I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So what styles did you do? I was the multi-style dancer, jazz, tap ballet I really hated ballet when I was younger I had to be forced to do ballet but if I wanted to do everything else I had to do the ballet which obviously also makes so much sense when you're older um so I really loved jazz I was a real jazz kid for sure and then the ballet sort of like supported that until much later in life when ballet clicked for me that's so fun I hated ballet too and now yeah. I teach is ballet <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible I love, it though. I love like 
if I get a chance to take a ballet class myself, I love the ritual behind it. And it just feels so like, okay, we're back in ballet. Like I yep. love the structure of it, which is funny. Absolutely. I'm, I'm exactly the same. Crying, kicking, screaming. My dad would like hand me the phone and be like, you speak to your mom if you don't want to go to ballet. Like, yeah. I don't want to go. And now it's it's my favorite. I love it. And the same thing. If I get back into a class, it'll be it'll be like an adult easy ballet class because my god when you go back into it as well you're like oh I had no idea how strong I was because a grand plié is a full body experience if you do it properly (laughs) yeah so what then (laughs) made you transition from dancing to acting was it a decision by choice or like how did that happen I was working professionally in Australia at 15, which was not a usual sort of route to go, but I had made my mind up that that's what I wanted to do. And um, I was really lucky with my mum's guidance. She put me in front of all the right people and lo and behold, they were like, well, we can kind of sneak her in. Do you want to like do this job? So I was working in Sydney and my dad was having to like drive me up and down three hours from Canberra to go work and he would just sit in a car like what an angel honestly and uh, eventually I ended up getting a hip injury Mm. which meant that I couldn't dance anymore and the agent that I had at the time basically turned around and said well if we're not sending you for dancing work then we're going to send you for acting work it's like you know got to put the injured dog to work basically (laughs) and so they started sending me acting stuff and I was just like I absolutely not absolutely not I cannot think of anything worse looking at those first like lines of a script and being like I I can't do this I can't speak um I I I am a shy person Mm -hmm. and the idea of of speaking as someone else was just horrific to me but I went through with it. I think initially, honestly, I think I went down the commercial route more, even though I didn't get any commercials. I was just like, well, commercials are worth money. My agent will be happy. I can earn money. I can get to the States because I always wanted to come and do the Edge scholarship in LA. So that was my thing. I was like, I'm just going to do ads. And then they just, you know, slowly pushed me more and more into film and TV. And then after my first real job, which was H2O in terms of really understanding what being on a set for weeks, months, 4.30 a.m. wake-ups, all of that sort of stuff at that age, doing school at the same time. Once I really, like, understood the reality of it, I actually really fell in love with being on set and that whole lifestyle. So I was kind of tricked and kind of just fell into it and then fell in love (laughs) kind of nice kind of going in not really knowing too much about it so you're not jaded right away for sure I had absolutely no idea and just was so incredibly lucky to land on that production which was so long and had all kids my age (laughs) and an amazing crew that really like walked us through the etiquette of being on a set as well like we all got pretty good reputations in Australia for being respectful actors because we we couldn't get away with anything on that set the crew were really good at pulling us back into line and being like Mm-mm. it's not all about you there's 90 people here like you know just keeping us a little grounded so I'm incredibly grateful for that so did your agent find that role for you and then did you have to audition for it yeah I auditioned a bunch of times for it I think obviously when you're going to put three young kids together essentially we were kids there's a lot of not politics but you've got to consider who you're putting together for such a intense job and so they did a lot of um, I think we did like one eight hour day where they just had all different actors and they just tried different pairings of us all. And then we eventually went and auditioned up in Queensland where we shot. And at that point, it was just me and Phoebe. We were the only people meeting actors who were not going for the role of Emma. And so Phoebe and I were looking at each other like, where, where are the other Cleos and Rickies? Like, <laughs> actually, I had auditioned for Emma up until that point only oh, as wow. well. So okay. when I got that, they handed me Ricky and I was like, 
yes, because I like that <laughs> character more. I, I literally never, ever read as, as Ricky and then they cast me as her. So I, I thank my lucky stars for that one as well. But, yeah, the last audition they put us in the water and, you know, because it's like some people just ca- can't even put their head underwater. It's very yeah. stressful. and they, they really wanted to make sure that we would be able to believably do the underwater stuff and the physical part of the job was almost a 50% sort of consideration. Yeah, I was going to ask then, did dance and like just knowing movement help you with this role? Like, because you are wearing those tails and I'm sure they weren't light and like you're doing all this physical stuff with like the powers or whatever. So like how did movement and dance help? Um, I mean, it was so, so, so fundamental to me being able to do that job. Um, apart from the fact that I still had that injury, and the oh, tails wow. were not good for that hip action. So I had a lot of troubles with that hip while we were shooting and we would sort of do like two-week shoots in a tank. So like the end of those two weeks, I would just be an absolute mess. I actually was also still competing as a dancer oh my gosh. while we were shooting as well. So that first year, I look back on it and I was like, I, like, I, I wouldn't be able to do what I did then now like I just I don't know what I was thinking I think I was just like totally falling in love with the job and that whole new life and I just had this like new lease on life and this energy so I would shoot in the tank and then go and compete at like the nationals that night and then get up and come back go 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 just like yeah couldn't stop it was wild so definitely for the swimming stuff I mean I did actually get swimming lessons before because the casting director gave me a heads up a couple of months before even and was like can you swim and I was like oh I can like sort of stay afloat but I'm like (laughs) nervous in the ocean especially in Australia and he was like you should probably just get some swimming lessons and so luckily my best friend growing up her mum was a swim coach and so I did a bunch of lessons which helped a lot but they trained us we had two months of like five days a week very very physical swimming a couple of kilometers a day personal training strength building all of that sort of stuff so they they knew that they were going to put us through it it was just whether we were willing to go through the training and the the discipline from dancing made sure that as an actor you know I'm I'm good to go basically so what was like your favorite moment either on or off set Oh, gosh, that's such a good question. I think, I mean, besides the social side of it, where we largely hung out on the weekends with each other after spending <laughs> ridiculous amounts. Well, certainly Phoebe was going back to Sydney a lot still to, to see her family and Claire was going back to Brisbane to see her family. I was in Canberra, so it was like I can't really get back for a weekend. It's like it's like two flights and, like, it wasn't really worth it for me. And my dad had come up for the first season to live with me because I was a minor still. So on the weekends, like, the boys that played the other sort of supporting characters, we all socialised a lot. So we had a lot of really beautiful sort of, like, campfire moments because they were all musical and that was amazing to me as well. So... I think building those relationships and finding what I considered my people, I think was probably one of the biggest revelations for me outside of the work. Because going through high school, I was just like, uh, you know, when people are like, this is it, high school is the best years of your life. I was like, well, I want out then because I hate this. I hate everything about it. So it was really nice to get into work and to be like, oh, okay. So these are like like-minded people that I really get along with. We've got, you know, similar values, which I think happens to a lot of people, you know. In school, you sort of like mash together with people who live close and that's not really the best way to do it. Obviously, people, you know, still find very meaningful friendships within that, but and I do have a couple friends from high school still, but, you know, as an overall, yeah. I was like, oh, this is like my world. Like, this is my home. This is where I belong. Um, and then in terms of onset, honestly, probably some of like the dolphin stuff. Like we got to do really cool things with animals and 
swimming in those like reef tanks and stuff like that. Like those are really cool experiences that were very specific to that job that I really loved. But I, that's a really tough question because I have like millions of competing memories when I try to answer that. (laughs) Were there any abandoned storylines from the show that you wish they would have kept going? I don't think so. I think they were pretty, by the time we got the script, they were pretty much shooting scripts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if anything, um, it was a tiny little bit of refining for budget, I think, more than anything. But I'm sure that there would have been storylines thrown around in the writers' rooms for sure that I wish would have happened. But I also didn't really watch most of it. That's, hey, especially later on and so I don't like people come and speak to me about storylines and I'm like ah, I, like, I don't I'm remember that I'm, the last half of the episode first so it's like all combobulated so yeah yeah I had no uh, some of some of the storylines I hear now and I'm like wow we did that okay that's cool <laughs> no idea <laughs> that's so funny I know, why do you think ridiculous why do you think this show has been I think still popular after all these years, like TikToks about it. Like, why do you think, what what do you think it is from your perspective? Uh, I really, I think my first uh, instinctual answer to that is a complete mystery. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me at (laughs) all. But the second part of it sort of comes from me getting older and understanding what a TV show in that, day and age with three female leads where the whole thing was they've got to stick together with this secret and support each other and it them against the world essentially but not really but you know what I mean I think that story for females but I mean even I spoke to someone this week who's uh the the new wardrobe lady on the show that I'm doing she was like my godson who's 20 like loved the show it's just like why I don't understand (laughs) So it's really nice hearing when the boys like it, but I do think for a lot of girls it was a real like, ah, yeah, okay, so me and my friends, we can do this. And I think that's a really lovely lesson for for women to have had as a example set for them, particularly during that time. My cousin and I will, will be like, hey, watch episode H2O. Sure, let's do it. <laughs> it's it really – I mean, also you've got ridiculous – accents and the Gold Coast is just so beautiful and then you know you've got the magic of the tales as well so on a you know less serious level there's always that like it was always going to be a visual show that was supposed to be very enticing to particularly people outside of Australia like it was originally marketed to Europe And they were going to show it during winter when it was cold. So it was like a bit of an escape for people. I don't think they ever thought that the US was really going to take it on, especially not run with it the way that they did. So Mm -hmm. big old mystery. (laughs) (laughs) So you've been in other uh, television shows. What has been your favorite role so far that you've done? That's a tough one as well. You know what? I actually... I wouldn't have guessed this initially, but I played a real piece of work on Home and Away, which is like our like stock standard soap. And most young actors go through Home and Away when they're young and it took me a long while. So I think I was on Home and Away when I was like 28 or 29 or something like that. So I went much later, but I got this real villain character And I just had the best time, the best time. I think it was that like being able to say and do things that me would never, ever in a million years think of doing such a thing. So it was sort of like a bit of a release for, you know, just being able to be bad Mm -hmm. and, and horrible and hurt people unapologetically. I think there was actually something kind of cathartic about that. So I really did have a good time on that. And I think that, our training really set me up for that show because they shoot so quickly. You've got to be so on it. You've got to be super disciplined to be able to, you know, really be able to do a good job on those shows. I felt like it was kind of like a boot camp for me. And I really loved that. 
that's interesting too because like if you're dancing on a performance you're kind of on stage for like three minutes but like acting especially in television it's like oh you get like one minute scene all right next scene you can break and then go again like you have to get in and out of it super fast and that's so hard. many times as well that that ready to go out of nowhere is a real it's a real muscle I think after COVID and sort of being out of it for a little while the first time I went back on set I was like oh I'm really unfit like my focus and my attention span and my like my stamina mm was not up to par for being on a set. I was like, oh, dear, I need to really, like, get this muscle back that I didn't even realize I had. <laughs> How, I know we talked about this a little bit, but because you said you use your physicality to help get into character, do you do anything else to help yourself get into character? Yeah, I definitely do um, a good amount of script sort of analysis, really pulling apart what psychologically is happening to that character I think once you understand what's going on and then as I've gotten older I understand more and more how important it is to understand your role within the bigger picture so now I also go through and sort of break down each scene in terms of like what is this scene what is it doing for the story how can I best support what they're trying to do with this for the overall production so it's just become more and more work, but I love it. I mean, that's, you know, it's why we deal with all the the cons of being an actor is that when you finally do get to do the thing that you get to like sit and just indulge and go into that world for hours and on, on end so that by the time you get to set, you know exactly what's going on and you feel like you can deal with all the other pressures that are then added into time constraints and dealing with, new people and 90 different people that are trying to do their jobs and all of that sort of stuff. So I think it's more and more about being as prepared as possible to do my job on set as efficiently as possible. Yeah. Cause I think people who are non-actors who haven't been on a set, it's not really glamorous. It's, it's, nope. people are working again. You have like light guys, like tech guys, like poking, yep. and poking and prodding you all these different things. And it's, it's so technical, so yeah. technical. I think people forget or they don't see it often. It's like, yeah, well, they see the finished product, but a lot of work goes into it. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of like every single person that needs to be there needs to be there. And that's a huge lesson. I think when you're young, you're just like, how can it possibly take 90 people to do this? And then you look and you're like, wow, yeah, we actually need more people. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any new... um like acting projects coming up? Yeah, so we've. I'm actually in LA at the moment. We are doing the second season of a, a comedy called Everyone is Doing Great. And it's an absurd comedy about actors and how ridiculous it is to be an actor. And it's so I basically say that it's an anti-entourage. So it's what we all really think when we look at that world and we're like, I'm sure it's not that glamorous. I'm sure it's not all, you know, exciting and parties and meeting people and all that sort of stuff. So our show is definitely about all the the tough parts of being an actor. And again, it's about four friends. And at the end of the day, all they have is each other. They think they've got all this other stuff, you know, all of this frosting around their lives and um, three of them have come off a very famous vampire show but it's five years down the line and they're like trying to figure out what to do with this like declining sort of level of fame and people being like so you still do you still do the act you are, are you you are still acting and like, yeah I am I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to like find my way in this world so it's really funny and it's really cathartic so we've done our second season and I just watched the second episode yesterday which is just it is honestly it's like it's that you know that thing when you watch something and you don't know whether to laugh or cry <laughs> so much of the show is that for me where it's like it cuts so close to the bone it's just like <laughs> <laughs> I hate it and I love it <laughs> so that's really really fun and that's working with three of my best friends and an incredible producing array of amazing people so that's a real real 
green job for me. So I'm very, very happy living in that world for a little bit. And, you know, fingers crossed we get yet another season out of that. But that those types of jobs are really what give me the most amount of fulfilment and enjoyment because, again, the only really, like, the only part I really love about being an actor is the on-set part. And so that's it's become more and more important for me to really enjoy that part of it and it's amazing to love the end product but at the end of the day as an actor you've got no control over the end product you literally do your bit and then cross your fingers and hope for the best so I'm focusing more and more on making sure that that part is where I get my enjoyment out of and you can stream it too right what platform can you watch it on is it paramount yeah i think it's it's paramount around the world and then hulu in north america i want to shift to your kariba online so this yeah. is like, you have like fitness and wellness and dance classes that you teach online so what was the inspiration behind this and can you kind of talk about a little bit of what these classes consist of and what they are yeah, so this is somewhat of a long-winded one, but <laughs> uh, uh, the long story is that when everything shut down in 2020, I was stuck in Australia and I just got my green card, actually. I've been trying to get my green card for so long. I finally got my green card. I was, like, ready to move to the States and everything shut down. Australia shut its border. They were like, no, no, you're not flying. It was like, oh. I spent my whole life like trying to get into America and now Australia is like, you can't leave. I was like, oh no, what do I do? So I was there, but I was very, very lucky in terms of Australia wasn't great with providing help to freelancers. So actors, anyone in our industry generally kind of got left behind, which was very, very stressful. But because I taught, I was lucky. So I was a teacher. So I was in this position where I was feeling you know, fairly taken care of in terms of the fact that I could pay my rent and buy food, which was fully, you know, aware that there was a lot of people who were facing much more dire situations than that. And in that moment, just feeling sort of hopeless because I never knew when we were going to get back to work, particularly in Australia, um, whether we would even have an industry at all by the end of it because everyone was struggling so much. And my go-to when I feel really, really hopeless is like, how do you help? Because if you help someone, that just seems to like inform and fill in everything else in my life. It has throughout my life. That's been my go-to. And so in that moment, I was like, okay, so how do I help people? And I was like, well, kind of not qualified to do anything in terms of really helping people's living situations. I was like, but I do know a lot about classes that are very good for self-care and everyone's locked up at the moment it's like why don't I do some sort of online classes where people can connect and learn techniques to take care of themselves particularly dealing with stress and see how that goes so it actually took me about a year to get the classes up I had the idea very early and then through all of my own self-worth stuff of being like you you who are you to do this and like you know I've, I battled that for a year it was ridiculous when I look back on it I'm actually quite angry at myself that it took that long but I also needed to get like the tech stack right and figure out how to do it I wanted to do this like pay what you want situation for people who are you know not able to pay what you would normally pay for a full class and so it took me a long time to get them up but the whole point of them were to provide people with classes that they could do at home that were much more focused on how movement and exercise made them feel as opposed to how it made them look so I didn't realize this at the time but I also have this be in my bonnet about exercise always being about what it makes you look like and I just don't think that's the right way to go I think we have to shift into exercise being about how it makes you feel and almost putting it under mental health and brain health and that sort of side of it and so even doing ballet my whole like shtick for that was like people who went through ballet who had teachers who just yelled at them the whole time like come and do ballet as an adult where all we're doing is appreciating these beautiful lines that ballet creates with your body for you and for no one else, just for your own enjoyment, plus the strengthening, 
Plus, we're just going to just have fun in a class. There's absolutely no, you know, end goal to it. We're just enjoying moving, enjoying ballet and seeing what that can give us. So it really created this like beautiful community of people. And it's a very niche sort of class. There's a lot of people I think that probably will go through the classes and be like, oh, <laughs> that's it? It's like, no, no, but it's it's not meant to be like, you know, at the end of class being like, <gasps> Yeah. Although there's a couple of ballet classes which by the end of it well, everyone was like, I'm really sore. But <laughs> the whole point of them, and funnily enough, I'm in the middle of doing what I call my strength and flexibility classes at the moment. And we started the second round of those two years to the day after we started the first one. So it was kind of cool. I went and did a little survey of everyone. I was like, "What's what one do you want me to bring back? And that was by far the most requested to bring back so two years after we brought back a new series of strength and flexibility and that's really about body awareness like learning how to read what your body needs and what your body's telling you when you put it into a certain stretch learning that's like oh that's that's nerve that's stopping me from going further into that stretch I don't want to stretch nerve that means that I need to meditate and do other things that are going to make my nervous system shift back into the parasympathetic sort of way of working as opposed to the fight or flight, which also everyone has been in for a couple of years now. I mean, and long before that, but obviously it was just heightened during that time of uncertainty. So it's very, very niche, but they're very much self-care classes, which are teaching people about their bodies and teaching them how to maintain their own bodies as much as possible. Obviously we always are going to need physios and professionals who are going to really help with injuries but I do think that there's a real hole in our education in terms of learning about our bodies and learning to maintain our own bodies and I think there's a real empowerment to understanding this muscle is hurting which means that it's probably weak so I'm going to release it and then I'm going to find an exercise that works that muscle and it's like that's like four years of a niggling injury that you don't have to have. You don't have to go to a physio necessarily. There's a couple of things that were sort of simmering under the surface that I've realized I'm quite passionate about. But initially it was all about trying to just give people something during that time that could help them in any way. I feel like in high school when I was younger, it's like fit your body into this position, look like this. When I got to college and studied dance, well, everyone's body's different. So yeah, what to do for your body? Everyone's flexibility is different. Don't try to force something. And that's yep. injured. I'm like, oh my god, this makes sense. No one told me this. Like you said, like I think there needs to be more, especially in the world of dance, of like mm-hmm. you need to take care of your body. Yeah, and I do. I do think that we are going towards that sort of angle. Like I find now when I'm teaching, because I've been teaching for so long. Like I found that a couple of years ago, I was still having to go into ballet classes and telling people that they can't tuck under because that's not, it's not right. It's not good for you. <laughs> but, you know, up until a couple of years ago, people were still being told to tuck under. But I really feel like when I go into new classes now that there are better and better practices that are already there as a foundation, which makes me really happy. So I think we are moving that way. But I think even within dancing, like I think... When I, the the online classes are definitely more geared towards the everyday person because I wanted to be able to help as many people as possible. But they're designed in a way that dancers can absolutely get something out of those classes. And I do, I've got physios that are doing the classes, professional dancers that come in and just do nice sort of like maintenance work on themselves. But when I go into a studio, it's, you know, we're getting into the nitty gritty of it. And I think it needs to be more and more about the longevity. And I think during my sort of battle with my injury, because I don't think I really had a proper diagnosis for about eight years. And so I just felt like I was beating my head against a brick wall. I was seeing sports doctors left, right and centre, physios, chiros, osteos, I was just desperate for some help. And I eventually found um, a lady called Lisa Howell who has just absolutely blown my mind. She's rewritten the book, particularly on ballet, in terms of 
not having any long-lasting negative effects on your body after dancing, even point work. Like she is, as far as I'm concerned, the be-all and end-all. Like everything she says, I'm just like, yes, yes, Lisa. This is what we're doing. We're making sure that at the end of, you know, college or whatever that people are not walking around with these like war wounds being like I loved dancing when I was younger it's like that's not right you should have to suffer like yeah five you're like career's done because you've just done prop like improper technique not safe you know exactly exactly so my stuff within studios has lent more and more towards injury prevention and longevity and making sure that there's healthy practices going on Mm -hmm. In the past, I feel like dancers would, they had an injury, one, they didn't know how to treat it. They didn't know they were injured or they just kept going yep. because of, I need to perform and get this role. So like, have you seen, especially with your students or maybe the, the classes you've taught, like has that mindset been, is it shifting that mindset of, okay, I'm injured, I need to take care of myself? Or do you still kind of see that? Of no, it's very, very different now. I definitely, my hip injury came through the, just danced through it mindset which is all we knew like we just the the sports medicine for dance has improved so much if I had known actually that's a lie if I had known what I knew now I still probably would have done the same (laughs) things because when you're a teenager you're not you know it is up to your teachers to try to get across those consequences for you because that you're not thinking about that at that point you're trying to get your body into that position But I do definitely find, and my mum still actually runs her dance school now, and I still go back there. And What's it called, by the way? Give it a little shout out. It's called Legs. And it's so, it's just, it's, I'm so proud of her. It's such an incredible place. And she produces the most beautiful dances, but she's got such a strong focus on what dance does to you in terms of building you as a person and she really produces some of the most beautiful people who go out and they're respectful and they have amazing careers in dance in whatever they do a large part thanks to the training the team training and you know the discipline that gets imparted on them at that school so I'm incredibly incredibly proud of the way that she does her stuff but she finds now even she has to fight physios and stuff who are like, yeah, they can dance. And mom's like, no, they can't. No, they can't. So she's now the one saying, you're absolutely not dancing on that. It's inflamed. It's angry. She's like, what is a competition? She's like, there's no point in you aggravating this and then being out for eight months as opposed to missing this one performance to make sure that you are dancing in eight months. So I definitely feel like, I mean, I'm picky about where I go and teach as well. So I don't, I don't want to be in the schools where there's unhealthy practices going on. And I always get personal referrals before I go and teach places because I don't want to be a part of that sort of problem. And I don't want to be the only teacher in a studio being like, don't do that. It's bad for you. And everyone else is like, so you know like I I have to teach in a place where the culture matches and aligns with my own values so I definitely feel like people are much more educated and I would hope I I totally understand that push and pull of one specific performance audition coming up that the time wise is just like oh what do you do do you do you push it do you not I totally understand that but I feel like there's also so many more avenues now in terms of being able to like, I know mums had students that have been injured while they're auditioning for full-time sort of schools and trying to figure out what they're doing the year after being at her studio. And a lot of the time she'll go and speak to the owner of that institution and be like, they're injured right now. Can we put together a video submission? And, you know, just like asking people as a, as a human being like, right now is not going to be healthy for them to do this. Is there another way around this instead of just like, okay, this is the audition day. This is what we're doing. So I hope that that means that people are sort of recognizing their own agency a little bit more in it. Obviously there's still going to be institutions, particularly within dance that are not going to budge for anyone because they are whatever they are. But the other side of that is, do you want to be a part of that? And do you want to take on, you know, what that means for you mentally to be training somewhere like that or working somewhere like that? So I 
I would like to think that as a whole, we're moving more and more away from those do it at all costs. You know, you're not a real dancer unless they're killing you sort of, you know, attitude that we had when we were younger where we're understanding that our health is more important. It's the most important thing. Yeah. <laughs> what have been the responses like for your classes? Are any are there any like moments you want to share of students coming back to you being like, oh my God, that helps so much? Or oh man, I have been brought to tears that many times oh, from wow. people, honestly. I think one of my favorites is a girl who has like a really horrific, she's actually now had to fuse some vertebrae, but she had really bad like dysplasia in one of her um, vertebrae I think is what ended up happening and she had said that she basically struggled to like do anything for three four years and I put the strength and flexibility up on Instagram and she was just like A never knew you were a dancer B like what is this like more so out of like curiosity was like okay let's see what this is about and did the first class and said that it's the first time she had been able to touch her toes in four or five years and that she burst into tears and after the class sort of like did a couple of movements she hasn't been able to do for four years plus. She's a real like real proud mum case for me because she's just like any classes you do, I'm getting in there because she's like it just seems to just work with my body. And then I've had a couple more of those sorts of stories of people bringing their mums into classes and their mum doing like a shoulder opener and the mum bursting into tears because the first time she's not been in pain for like 15 years and, you know, that, that sort of stuff of like those real light bulbs going off in people's heads that when you're kind to your body, you actually get so much more out of it. You know, we've, we're so taught to fight against what our body looks like what our body does what our body wants to do and it's not actually how it is our body is trying to support us in every single way in every single second through every single cell of our body like (laughs) you know the the intelligence in our body is beyond what even I can comprehend I still am learning things that blow my mind today about the intelligence in our bodies And I do think that there's just something even energetically about being nice to your body where it's like, yes, I will. Because you were nice to me, I'm going to give you this much more flexibility or this much more strength. And so seeing those light bulbs go off for people is like, I mean, that's it. That's Everyone wants to help with whatever job they do. And a lot of the times I don't get to choose when I act, but I get to take a bit more power back with these classes now and I get to help people every day. Yes, the whole thing was worth it. Yes. <laughs> oh. so do you have any new classes then coming up this spring? Yeah, so we're in the middle at the moment of the Strength and Flexibility um, series. So people can, so what we do now is we've got the live class and then people get access for a six-month period after that to go back and do the classes. And the aim with that is that people start to learn which exercises they need and they go back and they skip through and they find the ones that they need. So, you know, at the end of the day, the, the the main idea is that people don't actually need me at the end of the day. They start to learn. It's like, oh, my body needs this release. My body needs this factual release. So that's the idea behind the classes. They're up for six months. I think that after my next series, after the strength and flexibility, the most requested one was the core and flexibility. So I have this whole other be in my bonnet about core work and how important that is and how that should be taught to us in school, let alone as dancers, like proper functional core strength. And so after that, I probably this is this is a this is a real scoop. I think I'm probably going to go back to the core and flexibility because I think it just people really love the ballet and there's sort of like two like trains of people now: the people that love all the ballet content and the people that love like the flexibility, real, like tangible self-care stuff. And I feel like we're still sort of in that space. I feel like everyone's really going through it at the moment. And so I think the self-care stuff seems to be what people are like really, really into. So I'll probably continue along that train. 
Plus, I get so much out of it. I just like this last class we did last Sunday, I lay down, I was in an absolute state. My body was just oh. not good. And it always happens. The end of class, I'm like, oh, that feels so much better. Like it just seems so self-serving and selfish. It's like, oh, we're, we're glad. We're all here for you, are we? But I'm like, yeah, we are actually because I needed everything we did in that class. <laughs> yes, you needed too. <laughs> yeah. We're all about the self-care at the moment. It's always going to be about self-care, honestly. I love it. I agree. <laughs> Check out the classes at www.kreva.online, correct? Yes, that's the one. So before we wrap up, I always ask rapid fire questions. Here we go. All right. Favorite song to dance to? Um, Love on Top by Beyonce. Love it. Mm-hmm. The last great book you read? Ooh, um, what did I just read? I just re- read Daisy Jones and the Six, actually. Okay, I just read it too. So my friend was like, you would love it. And I loved it. And there's a show, but I don't have yeah. Amazon Prime. So now I'm like, need to read her account. I'm scared to watch it because the book was so good. It was such an I interesting know. structure. I'm like, oh, I might need like a year before I watch the show. So we'll see. Yes, <laughs> I agree. The structure is interesting in how it was told. That's why I liked it a lot. Yeah, different. same. Yeah. Um, actor or actress who inspires you? Um, I think actually, no, for a long time, it's been Sarah Paulson for me. Mm. I just think that she is so interesting and authentic. And if anyone has not seen Blue Jay on Netflix, I think it's still on there. I've rewatched it that many times. It's basically a two-hander play and she is magnificent I mean I don't know how she was not awarded an Oscar for that it's it's the most beautiful film it's all in black and white and I'm just all about her I was gonna ask your favorite film well Blue Jay would definitely be up there but in terms of just straight favorite film I actually love (laughs) I think it's a perfect film I really do I just I love an animation. They're so well thought out and they're so funny. And for that film to have you crying in the first five minutes and no one said anything. No one said anything. That's why it's this so an animation. <laughs> and then they get you back to this joyous, like it is, it's perfect storytelling. It blows my mind. I absolutely love that film. That's so true. The The most poignant moment is the whole little montage with him and his wife. At the beginning. And like I, I, I Try and watch that film and not cry. Oh, my God. Like sobbing. Absolutely ugly sobbing in a movie theater I was through my 3D glasses. So, you know, (laughs) that's what happened to me. (laughs) I have to say my favorite, well, one of my favorite, I have a lot, is um, Baz Luhrmann, Australian, Strictly Ballroom, because the dance, the whole, that's another great one I love. I know. I I really should have a better, more relevant favorite film, but, you know. That was great. It's wholesome. (laughs) Great. It is. (laughs) What's the best advice that you've received yourself as an actor? Oh, good question. And this is something I really impart if I'm ever working with someone on acting stuff, even dancing, to be honest, is that your most valuable asset you'll ever have is your uniqueness. So as an actor, they are looking for you, not you acting like Sarah Paulson and, you know, it's like what you have, what you are, everything that's made you who you are today, that's the most valuable thing that you can offer anyone in an art form. And so same as a dancer, do all of your training, make sure that you can work as part of a team and be a seamless part of a team, but like really make sure that you also understand what your unique value is as a dancer your way of moving your sort of signature and then I think as an actor it it literally is it's like how how you see this script what you understand it to be is the best thing that you bring to this role which also really helps because there's so much comparison particularly in those disciplines really helps you stick out of the comparison and really just stay focused on your own stuff and stay in your own lane and 
and retain the self-worth that just gets bashed out of you when you try to do these things as a professional job. <laughs> that's, that is amazing. Yeah. I, yep. That's mind blown. Cause that was, that's so true. Because yeah. pushing dance and acting, it's like yourself, you're putting yourself through all these things. It's so vulnerable. So it's like, how do you not get in your head? It's like, you have to be so confident in who you are. And yep. some, some, someday someone will see that and then absolutely and you'll be the perfect person for that job and until that day you know it's it is a 50 50 it's either your job or it's not and fantastic for the person whose job it is and you could honestly probably have done a better job certainly in your mind but yeah. you know it wasn't right for that for what they wanted for that and that is entirely fine it doesn't mean that it's any less worthy it's just different and it's not what they were looking for. And I think that's, yeah, that's, it's tough, but that's like one of the few ways that I can retain some, some self-worth through all of it. When you're not busy, what do you like to do for yourself? Ooh, uh, I really enjoy being alone. <laughs> I'm quite a solitary person. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I actually really love going and doing like activities that people would do with other people. Like I love going to a restaurant. I love going to movies by myself. I, I can do any, it doesn't, I've lost that shame of like people being like, table for two, like, no, no, just me. And they're like, oh, okay, (laughs) sure. Okay. Um, so I think I'm the only one I need. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not to say I I absolutely love spending time with my friends and family, of course, but I think I've just learned so much through, you know, moving around the world and working in different places. So it's like the end of the day, the only person I have is me and I've got to be able to enjoy this city as much as I can for the time that I'm here. And so I'm just going to do everything that I would have done had someone been here with me. So I think I've just created a real enjoyment out of doing that. There's a lot of peace out of doing it by yourself, I think, as well. I don't know. Does that really answer your question? Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) Go to movies, restaurants, all this stuff, travel. Yeah, just just all the activities, enjoying enjoying the place where I live, often by myself, but not necessarily, not exclusively. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Like, I had a blast. And yes, I was so you. excited to hear about your journey. You can follow Kriba. It's at the Libra Teen. Is that how you say it? Like, Libra? Yes, team. it is. Yes. <laughs> and then you can also follow uh, follow at Kariba.online on Instagram to check out her classes and little quotes, quotes, and everything. But yeah. thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed it. It was so nice to just sit and just shout it out so i really appreciate you having me hey there it's marissa again coming on here for a little surprise kariba has generously offered 10 listeners with one week unlimited access to her de-stress strength and flexibility class so the first 10 who enter the code artifacts in all caps at the checkout won't have to pay anything for the class just go online to www.kariba.online and enter it now Hope you enjoyed the episode and of course stay tuned for another great one soon.